Shall we pray? It's always a joy to be in your house. As the psalmist says, that I was glad when they told me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Lord, we pray that this time that we spend in this place will be better than a thousand days elsewhere. We pray that you speak to us individually and corporately, and that, Lord, you'll make a deposit of your spirit and power in our lives, that we may walk, Lord, in your will, and especially in the area of our finances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, I've been married for the last 26 years, and my wife is here, Caroline. Wow. <laughs> We've lived with that lady for the last uh, 20, I mean, 26 years, which is actually half my life. And uh, it looks like it was just a few days ago. We have even looked alike. <laughs> Thank you so much, Provost, for inviting me to come and speak here for my second time. I was here some time back, and I thought maybe the congregation would tell you never invite that preacher again. And now today you've invited me to speak about tithing, and I hope that by the end of this sermon you will all say, please come back. But even if you say don't, do the, just practice. Amen. I serve as the international director for CMS Africa, as it has been mentioned. But I know many of you, when you hear CMS, you remember history. Always, when I say I, I, I work with CMS, there are three questions that come. <clears throat> Question number one, you mean CMS is still alive? Number two, if it is alive, what is it doing? Number three, if it is doing something, how can I be involved? Let me see by show of hands those people who went to a church school, primary, secondary. All Church of Uganda schools were started by CMS. Now you seem to be owing CMS a gift. For what CMS has done in your life and even in your family. I am glad to be part of that history, the history of transformation, renewing mindsets and transforming nations. CMS started in 1799, so it is more than 220 years old. But because it is founded on Christ, it never grows old. Right now, if you want to ask what is CMS doing, we do discipleship. The main strategic direction we take is make disciples for Christ in places where the church is struggling to be. Our first hub is where the church is struggling under conflict. So I find myself most times in Goma, Bunya, Boga, Aru, Mahagi, those places where the church is struggling under conflict. I find myself going to South Sudan in Wau, uh, places like uh, Wanjok, Warab, where there is conflict. And we think and believe very strongly that the gospel will bring change. There is a program you would, you would love to be part of. It's called Financial Freedom for Families. I'm aware that many of us have finances, but they are not, we are not financially free. In this uh, program, we, emphasize, we, we look at the four Gs that God is concerned about in regard to fi your finances. God is concerned about how you get G number one is get. Number two, guard. Number three, grow. And number four, give. So God is concerned about those four Gs in regard 
to your finances and possessions and wealth. I've been asked to speak about giving, which is just a subset of the fourth G, giving. Before I get into the message, I would like to ask, uh, to, to, to let you know that this training on financial freedom for families can be available to you if you register with the cathedral. And I want to put a guarantee that if you go through this training, actually it's a discipleship training, which takes six months. You attend training, you attend meetings only once a month for three hours, and the rest of the month you do the financial disciplines. By six months, if your financial status or if your finances don't change and you have paid us any money, we will refund you. That's the assurance I give you. You get a refund if you say this thing has not worked for me. This is a training that, or this is a discipleship that we look through the word of God and, you know, observe the disciplines of the word of God in regard to finances. We've done this training for accountants, people who are double trained, some of them ACCA, some of them CPA, some of them both plus MBA. And in three months of the training, halfway, they begin to testify and say, in all our working time and in all our professional life, we've never saved as a family so much money than we have saved in the last three months of attending this training and doing the disciplines. You can ask somebody at the provincial office at the Church of Uganda, oh, please go ahead and clap. who has MBA, ACCA, but when we met her, she was living on debts, and her salary would never ever cross the 10th day of the month. Now, her salary goes beyond. Six months, she says if she loses her job, she can survive at her current status for the next six months with what she has saved. And I would like all of you to benefit from that. See the provost. Let me first warn you, this message is going to be a little bit academic, but it's also going to be very challenging. If you can, and have somewhere to take some notes, please take note for two reasons. One, you can refer to them for your personal inspiration. Number two, you can check these notes so that you can give feedback. If there is anything that is not right, let, me, let us know. Um, I am a student of the Bible, specifically practical theology. And I hold a PhD in practical theology. So I like practical things. I preach the gospel of domination that comes first before the gospel of evacuation into heaven. You see, sometimes we spend a lot of time in making people go to heaven and we don't enable them to live effectively on earth. So you must live effectively on earth because this is where God has sent you for a number of years before you can go to heaven. Let's go to the message about tithing, which is a, just a subheading of G, representing gift. Tithing refers to giving a proportion of your income. And uh, it says, uh, in other version, it says a proportion of your increase. The increase from your fields, the increase from your businesses, and this is generally accepted as 10%, and you give it towards the work of the kingdom of God. When I say um, increase, I mean you don't go sell your land and give 10% of the proceeds of selling the land. That is capital. 
you go farm the land and the, uh, the produce, uh, for the produce you give 10 per percent. But if you happen to sell the land, please give 10, give 10 percent. It is generally given by believers towards the church where they draw spirit, uh, spiritual inspiration. Tithing is one of the spiritual disciplines recorded in the Bible. Today's reference is in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 to 12. But we read from verse 6. Malachi 3, verse 10 reads, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. 11 says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And I like the version that was read. I will rebuke the devourer. And the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. 12 says, then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. The same, uh, the same concept is also mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. It says, be sure to set aside a tenth. The subject of tithing has had serious criticism that I would like to deal with before I move to the benefits. These criticisms have been advanced by theologians, my fellow theologians, including some pastors, although they take salary from tithe. I have summarized the arguments against tithe into three. Number one, the people who speak against tithe say that tithing is a legalistic Old Testament concept. It's so legal. And we are no longer in the place of, of uh, law, we are in the place of grace. So this thing of the Old Testament legal is not good. Number two, that the New Testament is very silent about tithing. And they actually say that nowhere in the Bible did they, is it mentioned that the disciples paid tithe to Jesus. Number three, that tithes have been abused by pastors and sometimes they give us who steal money and then come bring it to church, give 10% in the hope that the balance will be cleansed and sanctified. That is an abuse. Let me share with you my reflections on these arguments. Argument number one is that tithing is a legalistic concept of the Old Testament. I would like to say yes. Like many other concepts and disciplines, tithing is mentioned in the Old Testament. And I thank these guys for saying tithing is in the Old Testament. The church still regards the Old Testament as the official canon and has not discarded it. Have you heard anybody who has discarded the Old Testament from the Bible? Not yet. We still read and follow so many teachings in the Old Testament. And we draw deep spiritual strength from the Old Testament. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel is our God, God Yahweh. And he's still the same God of the Old Testament, the same God of the New Testament. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I too have a problem, anyway, with the legalistic part in Malachi 3.9, which says, you are under a curse the whole nation of you because you are robbing me. I have a problem with that one. But please, do not rush too quickly. And this is because Paul writes in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, 
that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Just to say that the curse beat Christ has carried. God's wrath changes when his people repent and turn back to him. But his promises will remain forever. They are yes, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And we can say amen to his promises. If we should stop tithing, because it is an Old Testament teaching, then we can as well argue that we throw away the Old Testament. Those who do so, I will not join them. And I hope you too don't join them. In my considered position, the discipline of tithing is foundational to giving. The curse beat, curse, curse is, is, you are curse or things like that. The curse beat may change, but the discipline of tithing and the promises that come with it will remain. Let me respond to number two where they say that the New Testament is silent about tithing. I wish to reflect that the New Testament takes tithing and the whole area of giving a step higher, not lower. Jesus himself says, and it is recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 18, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. End of quote. Those are the words of who? Jesus. I wonder where my friends read. While attending a service in the temple, Jesus witnessed the giving by several people, including a very poor widow and some wealthy people. Mark records the story in Mark 12, 41. And he says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large sums of um, large amounts, but the poor widow came and put in. You remember the, the rich ones do what? Throw in. The poor widow did what? Put in. Two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. In verse 43 of Mark 12, Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in everything. Okay, has put more into the treasury than all the others. And in verse 44, he says, they all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now I would like to say, Jesus raised the bar of giving. From 10% to sacrificial giving, probably it could be 99%. Let me ask my friends who say it is giving is not a New Testament thing. Have they tried 99%? Because Jesus has raised the bar of giving. And I'm not going to ask that of you. Because you might exit the church. <laughs> if I do that. Eh? Jesus is not silent about tithing, but emphasizes that tithing, mercy, 
justice and faith are integral. In Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he continues to say, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Without ne which is the former? Tithing. Did Jesus say stop tithing? Where did my friends get this argument? Of saying it's only in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. Number three, they say that the pastors and givers have abused tithe. No defense, by the way, can be given to justify the abuse of tithes by pastors. Pastors should be accountable at all times and show the highest level of integrity in the way they live and handle church funds. And I won't sympathize with that. Let us show integrity. No compromise about it. And I also want to ask the givers, don't steal money and come and sanctify by giving tithe. It will not happen. It is sin. We will use the money in the church. We will be good stewards. But you will face it. However, is the alleged abuse enough grounds to discontinue tithing? Should that be the case? That because they abuse so, I am not going to tithe? No. And should you even do that at the expense of kingdom work? I want to state that our giving is not dependent on the stewardship by those entrusted as stewards. Even if the disciples are not recorded giving tithes to Jesus, it's not enough ground to say tithing. It should not be practiced by the church. I would also like to say that the people who advance these arguments are very respectable people, and I respect them. But I don't agree, and never agree with them. Just because they do not have strong enough grounds to throw away this important discipline that is a divine command. I also know that there are those who don't even argue against tithing. But things are hard anyway. You get the money, when you look at the bills list, even what you have got is not enough, including a hospital bill, including, you know, your drugs that need to be bought. And you just find that the money looks like they are too little to cover all the massive expenses that are around you. Probably, you have even spent the salary before it came into the account. Some of those people might be here. Oh, you have even taken a loan and you even never see your ATM card for the next, you have not seen your ATM card for the last six months. I also know there are people who have no, no idea what tithing and giving is, but they are extraordinarily generous. They give. They find somebody, they just give. They go to the bar, they just give. They buy for everybody beers. They buy another crate of soda this side. They go home completely broke because they are extraordinarily what? Generous. They are not tithing. <laughs> they are not giving to the kingdom. Just what? My prayer is that 
we rediscover and get the revelation of the benefits of tithing. While tithing provides substantial resources for mission and ministry of the church, a lot of the benefits go to the individual who tithes. There is something that happens in the life of the person who tithes. I would also say and strengthen that if all the salaried employees in this church, this cathedral, would tithe, this cathedral would not need any other funds. You don't even need to give offering every Sunday and Thanksgiving. The tithe can just cover everything. But tithing benefits an individual. What are those benefits? Number one, tithing is an act of faith. Tithing is a physical demonstration of your trust and dependence on God. In the text that we read, Malachi 3, verse 10 says, God says, test me in this. Test me in this. Who says? God says. God is daring you and saying, test me. In Kupsabin, we say Shema, not Shema of Western. Huh? Shema is try me. <laughs> try me. <laughs> Shema, what do you say in your language? Try me. Yeah? Jezako. Jezako. Jezeza. Just imagine God saying Jezeza. I don't know how deep his voice would be. Jezeza. Hey, try me. You try me. Test me. And you will see. And God is actually telling some of you today, trust me, try me, Jezeza. <laughs> and this is what God says, Jezeza me, eh? And see if I will not throw open the floodgates, floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. The term floodgate is used to, dis to designate a device that controls, huh? controls a body of water. It can shut it or it can release it, allow it to go. And this is a heavenly gate. So imagine a heavenly gate. Heaven is a place where God lives, isn't it? The place of God's support. It's a supernatural area of our lives. And in that supernatural area of our lives, there are also floodgates there that are ready to, to, to support you. Sometimes people wonder whether there is really a heaven, but they also believe that there is a UN who can make decisions that monitor your life and affect your life on a daily basis. There is an economic system around the world that you know you have no control over, but they make decisions that affect how you buy fuel, or sugar, or salt, or soap every single day. Why did soap jump all of a sudden from 200 per tablet to about 1,000? Some people are saying, oh, you see, there was war in Ukraine. So some of these decisions that affect even our salt and sugar and soap and what here at home, are decisions made somewhere here. They affect even your, your fuel. And they are economic decisions. I want to bring to your attention that as people in church, people who believe in God, they are supernatural circumstances that control the natural circumstances in your life. Until you tap into those supernatural circumstances, you are, your physical circumstances will remain ordinary. One of them is actually putting your tithe. And this is what it says. It says, God says, try me in this matter. If I will not open those supernatural gates and pour a blessing on you, sometimes the blessing may be physical, sometimes it is just peace, 
shalom over your life. Tithing moves us from dependence on money to dependence on God. Number two, tithes unlock abundance and refreshes the giver's life. In 2013, I, visited, I got an opportunity to visit the lowest point on earth, which is said to be 400 meters below sea level. And that place has been called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea receives water from the River Jordan day in, day out, and it has no exit because naturally, water cannot flow from a lower ground to a higher ground. So it is the lowest ground, and water flows there and never flows out. But one surprising thing is that the Dead Sea is dying. It is shrinking, it is drying, it's becoming smaller. And yet it is receiving what? Water. Anything that goes in dies. The water has become completely salty. When you sit on it, you float. And yet water is what? Coming in. Yet it is what? Dying. Last week, I was in the Himalayas. The slopes of Mount Everest, which is the highest point on earth. On Mount Everest, no water can stand there because whatever comes will go. So water is always what? Coming out of Mount what? Everest. But a cloud is always coming over it. It's always pouring. It's always raining. So as it goes, it comes back. It is giving. It's ever fresh. It's ever green. It's ever full, I mean, wet. Now, the high place that always gives remains greener and fresh. The place that always receives is dying and collapsing. Do you get the idea? When you are even traveling around the Dead Sea, even the surrounding environment, they warn you if you are driving, drive carefully, watch there could be some part of the road that has sunk. Because the soils are too dry, even the soils begin to sink. And you may find that the road is cut off because the soil has places too dry. Receiving water every other day. The government of Israel is negotiating with the environmentalists to allow pumping water from the Mediterranean Sea to go and refill the drying dead. Let me ask you, ask the neighbor around you, do you have outlets? <laughs> you better have outlets. You all know in geography that rivers, freshwater lakes are the ones that have inlet and outlet. Anything that has only inlet but no outlet is salty. Some lives could be salty. Because there is only what? You eat every day and have no outlet. The book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 25, says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And according to Paul, givers will have their accounts credited. In Philippians 4.17, he says, Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. Now, each time I spend money, either one from my account, I get a message saying you have been debited. But Paul here says, if you give to God's work, your account will be what? 
discredited. Now that's an oxymoron. Eh? It's an, uh, an opposite, which is uh, which, which is positive. So when you give, you get credited. Maybe because we think logically, our credit must be in terms of quantity. But there are some credit that comes in quality and you can never quantify. And when you have a need, Paul says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Those who tithe have no room to keep. They are ever giving, ever receiving. They never go bad. They never go salty. They just remain fresh. They refresh, they get refreshed. They remain physically and spiritually refreshed. Number three, giving enhances accountability to self and to God. A tenth of one's income or increase expresses the fact that you know exactly what your income is and what your sources are. That you can declare these sources and these incomes to God without guilt is a step ahead in your life. I am aware from the media that many people, particularly those who serve in good positions in government, struggle with the requirement of wealth declaration for reasons best known to them. I may need to do a research on that one. What stops them from declaring their assets and wealth and resources? What? That's a subject for another day. I'm not going to answer that. But you know, when you get a message into your phone that your money, salary has been deposited, you exactly know how much. Please be a, a, a good accountant. Calculate 10% and set it aside because it doesn't belong to you. That is first step of accountability. And those who can be trusted with that can also be trusted with much. It's a biblical principle that Jesus says. I know of accountants who are good, very, very good accountants. I have some in my office. There are some also, I think, in this church who are very good with reconciliation. You had that term, reconciliation? Every week, they go to the safe and reconcile the office float. And there is no time they miss. If there is something missing, they go back. What happened? They never pay you without recording. And I also know those accountants who are very good with records in the office, but when it comes to their personal finances, they wake up in the morning and they're asking themselves, yesterday I went out with 100,000, but I can't see how I spent it. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Did somebody steal me? So they go back. Why? They have a problem of what? Accountability to self. And if, that, if you have that problem, you also have a problem accounting to God. If you can account, you are able to count your blessings. If you can account to yourself, to God, you can actually count your blessings. And David says, Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2. There is this song by Johnson Ottman. Count your blessings one by one and see what the Lord has done. If you can count your blessings, in verse 2 it says, every doubt will fly away. <laughs> if you count your blessings, every doubt will Tithing, number four, releases our hearts from service to mammon to service to God. 
When we tithe, we clearly demonstrate our worship of God rather than money. Just want you to know that your 10% of your income is not greater than our God. Some of, you, some of us hold on too tightly to 10%. As if you, when you lose it, you lose your life. And you make that 10% look so huge compared to the God that you serve. The Yahweh. Hi. Really, 10%? He gave you the 90%, the 100%. How can 10% be greater than him? That you even fail to give it out. Hello? When you tithe, your life and your attitude becomes Christocentric rather than possession-centric. You know, you don't center your life around possession. Center your life around God. By the way, do you know that property changes hands every 50 years? If you hold property longest, 50 years. It's either that you, you may pass on. By the way, you get property maybe around 30 or so, so years. Eh? If you hold very well, 50 years. After that, it changes hands. Because you may die. Property changes hands. <laughs> if you sell, it even be less. So you, you don't, you begin to worship God and not money. Matthew 6.24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the, to the one and despise the other. You cannot love, serve both God and money. And Ecclesiastes says, he who loves money never has money enough. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Number five, if you tithe, you enjoy divine protection and provision. In Malachi 3.11, God says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. This is actually divine protection. Not only for possessions, but the life of the one who possesses the possessions. Not only for, uh, while there are crop pests and diseases, there are also human health issues that can consume one's income. Anything that affects your health affects your income. Agreed or not? Kweli amabana. Ni kweli, When you are sick, your income must back you up. And you will spend your income on what? On the sickness. And here God says, I will offer protection over all things that can eat up your income. And I pray that God will protect you and give you good health. When you tithe, that you will not spend any money on medical bills. I may have problems with those who have clinics here, no problem, as long as our people are healthy. <laughs> Amen? Be healthy. You don't need to spend a lot of money on, uh, on health. Let me share some two testimonies of, of tithing, then I'll close. Number one is a testimony about the church that I led from 2002 up to 2009. A rural parish in Kapchorwa, very close to a school called Sebei College. When I went to this parish in 2002, the first giving was 9,000 Uganda shillings. Out of that 9,000, I remember, I gave 5,000. <laughs> and the congregation was not less than 300. And I was wondering what could have happened. Were there some wardens here who are not good stewards? <laughs> And they decided to pluck away that which was there, and then they just declared uh, 9,000. But anyway, this is what we did. We, we actually told people to partner with God in their finances and to give to the ministry. The giving changed from 9,000 to 35 to 200 to 500 to 700, and there was a time we told. And in one service, people gave two million shillings. 
That's not too much, by the way, in Kampala here. But in the village, you get two million in the basket. You better look for security. <laughs> but this happened. On one Sunday, people gave two million. And it was like, what happened? Let me tell you something. When people continued to increase their giving, the parking at the church began changing. People began changing. They, they started parking in some old cars. Somebody would come to you and say, Reverend, God has blessed me. I have bought this old car here. I'm going to use it for business, taking people from Kapchorwa to Kampala. We said, let's release a blessing over this car. We prayed for it. Two years later, he comes and says, Reverend, I have now bought a better one. But this is what I'm doing. I'm also giving to this church. When there is a project, he says, I'm putting some money. The parking started to change. <laughs> the homes began to change. You see, when I went there, people would come. We didn't have food. What? By the end of the year, people don't have food to eat. Those are the problems we deal with in the village. No food. Although they plant bananas, the bananas yield small ones like this. They are not praising God. <laughs> The bananas are so miserable. As miserable as the church basket is. But when the church basket got better and better, the bananas even got better. People started working harder. We talked about giving. And then here is God blessed. Amen? There was a year, 2006, people started complaining. You know, sometimes church, we have problems. We have difficult Christians. They made complaints. They struggled here and there. And they said, now we are not also going to give. They stopped giving. I said, it's okay. I'm not going to teach about giving. We're going to maintain. Again, the parking changed. <laughs> the cars got sold. People started complaining. You, need, you see complaints like this. Some people come to church and say, pray for us. You know, when we were working, when I was cutting vegetables, I cut my fingers. When I was, making, when, when I was splitting firewood, I hit myself. When I was weeding, I cut my leg. And I said, oh, what's happening here? Then people come and say, you know, we don't have food. It is, it's a difficult days. Then I remembered, oh my God, we have left people. They are no longer partnering with the source of blessing. And then we, I brought a Pentecostal pastor who came and preached a very good sermon on giving. And that Sunday, people gave the two million I talked about. The next year, 2007, the parking again started changing. <laughs> Amen. Giving works. I don't know about God's mathematics. I'm not actually even allowed to know it because if I know, he ceases to be God. He becomes an idol. No theologian can understand God. If a theologian claims that he knows God, that God is an idol because God cannot be known. My personal testimony. I have had an opportunity to compare the, my time when I, I tithe and those periods when I don't. Now, this is where to confess to you that sometimes consistency in tithing may be a problem. I also have it the same way you do. And we want to come back to the Lord to restore us. Times when I, when I tithe, things go well. The job is secure. The work is okay. You have accounts. But one time I took a loan. When I took a loan to buy a piece of property, that time became very hard to even tithe because the, most of the salary was being chopped to cover the loan. And the tithe was not paid. During that time, I almost, almost lost my job. And then I discovered it's because I have gone out of the way. We had to come back. Tithing works. Don't ask me how. God's promises are there. Read the promises. I would like to pray with some people. Probably you have found this concept of tithing a little challenging. You can't even start because by the time you want to start, the bills are already higher. And I want to pray with you. You've never started tithing and you, want to, you, you, you ask for prayer only. I'm not saying you're asking to go and tithe. You're just asking prayer in this area of tithing. 
you have tried to start, you know it works, you have had, but you can't. I want to pray with you. Number two, I want to pray with people who may have started tithing, but they have not been consistent. We want to pray together. Number three, I want to pray with people who may have believed the lies from my fellow theologians who the campaign tithing. I want to pray with you. If you are one in one or any of those categories, feel free to rise up. Just make a statement by standing up. You've never started tithing? Stand up. You want to, st you, you, you have, you've done it, but you're not consistent? Feel free to stand. Maybe some of these arguments have been there, and you want to deal with them? Stand up. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I would like you to just reflect on your own life. And just reflect what difference it would make to partner with God in your finances. What it means for God to refresh you as you refresh others. What it means for you to re actually remain fresh and be a blessing to others. What it would mean for you to make a contribution to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God opens his blessings to you. And I want you to pray specifically to deal with the hindrances of tithing in your life. Deal with those hindrances. Father, deal with every hindrance in the name of Jesus. Hindrance from teachings, hindrance from just that the bills overtake your people before they think about giving to you. Heavenly Father, I want to pray that you reverse some of those things that overtake them. That even when the bills increase, Heavenly Father, they will stand and say, I will begin with what God needs. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that there will be an outflow of resources that come to the church because your people are tithing. And that, Lord, you will change the, the lives of the people who tithe. Silver and the gold belongs to you. All that we are, all that we have, Lord, belongs to you. It all belongs to you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that from what you've given us, we will give unto you. And that, Lord, you will observe your promise. Because your promises are yes and amen. Whether promises of quality or promises of quantity, Lord, there is no limitation to what you can do. Do it for your children. Lord, they have stood up and they acknowledge, Heavenly Father, that they need your help. Please, Holy Spirit, come and support them. In Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless you.